But one of the things that we've talked about quite a bit on Spooky South Coast over the last decade, and one of the things that has kind of resonated with our audience uh, both locally and around the world via the streaming and the podcast, is the Freetown State Forest and, and some of the things that have happened in there over the years. Just these strange uh, phenomena, uh, not only the paranormal stuff, but the true crime stuff that happens in there as well. And one of the most uh, notorious cases was the murder of Mary Lou Arruda in 1978, the discovery of her body tied to a tree, and the subsequent trials, multiple, of James Cater before he was finally convicted of the murders and, uh, and, and remained in prison. And he passed away this past week. He'd been sick, I guess, for a little while and passed away. So this has kind of brought up a lot of memories of this for people. So we have uh, some special guests joining us on the line. I'll introduce them all quickly, and uh, we'll get right into the discussion because we'll probably go with this until about the news, uh, maybe a little bit longer. But uh, certainly we'll welcome some of your calls later on in the hour as well. All right, so joining us we have Aaron Kadju, who is the co-director, I almost said co-director, co-director of the Bridgewater Triangle documentary, uh, and he is the uh, one of the filmmakers that chronicled this as part of that story. Good morning, Aaron. Thank you for joining us. Good morning. Thanks for having me, and a uh, happy anniversary to you, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. It's, uh, it's, uh, I never would have thought it would have lasted this long. I would have thought I would have gotten divorced by the show. Uh, I, it's, you know. it's, it's a terrible show, so I wasn't expecting it to last. Absolutely, we're, we just got lucky that nobody's listening, and nobody even people are like, "You're still on." And uh, speaking of Spooky South Coast, the content director for the show, but he's also the author of Dark Woods, Cult Crime, and the Paranormal in the Freetown State Forest. Chris Balzano joins us. Good morning, Chris. Good morning. How is everybody doing this morning? Uh, I would say spooktacular, but I have to save that for later on. <laughs> And also, well, I can say it. I'm spectacular. There so. you go. Also joining us on the line, we have Alan Alves, who is the retired Freetown detective, who is involved in this as well as other uh, crimes in the Freetown State Forest. Good morning, Alan. Thank you for joining us and, and for getting up early for us. Good morning, guys. Happy to be here. I think. <laughs> well, that's what happens when you're retired, right? You don't. You go into another field of work, and then you know you think Saturday mornings are e- leisure time, but instead you've always got something going on. Really, yeah. Making your own hours is nice, but getting in morning, this wasn't one of the hours. <laughs> <laughs> well, I-, I wanted you guys to come on because, uh, of course, this story ha- uh, came out earlier this week that James Cater died in prison. Uh, not a surprise. I mean, he was he was an older man. He was, what, 70 years old. Uh, hey, 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 hey. <laughs> well, but, I mean, come on. Se- when you get to be 70 years old in prison, I mean, that's 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 yeah, pretty that's good true. in prison, prison years. That's really good. But uh, this is one of those cases that I think is uh, something that people always uh, remember kind of their where are where were they when they found out moment. And, and Alan, I'll ask you because, you know, you were probably the closest to this out of anybody. What was it like for you when you found out that this body had been discovered? Well, when, when I uh, when they called the, uh, the police station, I got dispatched over there. Uh, body tied to the tree in the forest. You know, being the fact that it was, uh, you know, November 11th, you know, not too long after Halloween, I assumed that that's a Halloween dummy. It can't be a, you know, can't be a real person tied to the tree, headless person. And so I met these uh, two young boys on dirt bikes and uh, at the gas station, and they said, uh, I said, take me up there. And I followed them. They were really shaken up. And uh, and they pointed at Upwards in the in the forest, and you know, it's up there about a hundred yards. They didn't even want to go back there. 
So, um, you know, I walked up the hill and got up there, and uh, sure enough, there was was a human torso tied to the body with the uh, with twine and a head laying by his side. Later, I found out they took me the long way around because that's the only way they knew, but there was a dirt road there that could get to us very easily. Now, we had a woman who called in earlier this morning, and uh, and I have no reason to doubt her. Uh, she called in and said that she was actually riding horses with her friends out in the Freetown State Forest that, that, that day, and that they had actually ridden past Mary Lou Arruda tied to the tree first, and they thought the same thing, that it must have been something left over from Halloween, and it wasn't until they encountered those same young boys on the dirt bikes that they said, you know, they were shaken up by it. They actually sent them to uh, to their house to call the police while they went back and, and kind of went over to the scene. Uh, so, and I, like I said, I have no reason to doubt her, and, and she sounded like an, you know, like an older woman, so she was probably an adult at the time that this happened. Uh, but it just shows that, you know, here you have people who were rocked by this and and something that just kind of uh you know put a foothold on the entire community that this kind of stuff could happen right in our own backyard yeah it was my first homicide so it was very uh it shook me up now one of the things uh and and alan while we have you i want to ask you about this because one of the things that has come up is a lot of the questions people have been asking me this morning is why did it take four trials to finally keep Cater in prison for this crime. And, and one of the things that I know has come up as one of the problems was that some of the witnesses were under hypnosis and confabulation was a problem. And you now running the South Coast Hypnosis Center, uh, you, you know, you're very well versed in hypnosis and, and how it works. How did that play into, you know, James Cater being able to keep getting these, these appeals through and, and having the Supreme Court overturn these convictions? Well, yeah, he had four try to tried for five trials with um uh he was a uh jailhouse attorney when he went to jail he just studied the law books and looked for every loophole he could uh in regards to hypnosis there was a um there was a witness one of our witnesses saw the uh remembered seeing that because the body was found two months after she was kidnapped but um uh, a witness had uh, indicated they saw a vehicle uh, a green vehicle with two parties in it, um, a male and a female, thought it was a boyfriend-girlfriend just fighting, going down the, that dirt road, and they know it was September 8th, two months prior, because it was another child's birthday or something like that, and they recalled it, and they, they wrote down the plate number, but they couldn't find the plate, what they wrote it down with, because it was two months later. Um, someone at that time uh, suggested I bring it to a hypnotist, and I said, like, I'm a cop. I deal in facts. I don't deal with that hocus pocus baloney. But lo and behold, I found a, a sergeant in Bridgewater police officer who was also a hypnotist. So we uh, we, we brought the witness there, uh, and um, she was able to give a description of the vehicle and partial plate and a uh, description of the person she saw, and uh, it all matched up with uh Cater's vehicle and uh, picked up Cater out of the lineup, and uh, so it was. It was good, but then they uh, they kind of threw it out and made and made Commonwealth uh, and went all the way to the Supreme Court on that hypnosis thing, and they said hypnotic testimony cannot be used in um, in uh, court in Massachusetts, hmm. and and it's a good reason for it. Uh, I'm not the when you're uh, 
they call it regression hypnosis. So you regress somebody back to a point in time to what we call the ISC or the initial sensitizing event, and and they recall it, but they only recall it as that's in their imagination mind. And that imagination mind can take detours. Uh, we use it a lot with um, uh, children who are sexually molested. Sexually molested. They're adults now, but they're having problems because they were molested as a child. We use regression hypnosis back. And it could be their father that actually did it, but because they have this strong determination problem, love my father, yet hate what he did, that sometimes that subconscious mind will blame Uncle Joe, innocent Uncle Joe, rather than dad in, in the mind. The memory will twist facts like that. So, so that's yeah. why they said they can't use it uh, in in uh, in court. Because it's what you believe happened or what you remember, but it doesn't hasn't been proven to be, you know, one hundred percent accurate. So, I mean, there must have been a feeling of relief on your part, though, when, when you know, finally there were no more appeals, there were no more trials, and, and, and Cater was uh, destined to spend the rest of his life in prison. Yeah, it, it, it wasn't so much for me, I think, yeah, but it was the family that had to go through it. They could never they could never get closer, you know. It was like opening up a new wound over and over every time there was a trial, you know, and it was, it was bad enough to lose a 15-year-old like that. And, and such a horrendous crime, heinous crime, and then have to relive it in court testimony time and time again over years and years. You know, horrible, horrible for family. And and I know I saw you know your reaction when I posted the story up on Facebook, and and I know that you know you personally uh, have always felt even with all these other trials and and all this other uh, you know attempts by the defense team to try and find uh, another scapegoat to blame rather than cater you know you've always stuck by that it was definitely him what did you think about their their problem that they had the defense team where uh, they accused the freetown police of of holding back that the the cult information that they felt could have actually helped to clear james cater well with the freetown police it was alan al they were claiming uh, they uh. brought that up i had to be cross-examined like that uh, i had absolutely nothing to do with that with that case, satanic cult, devil worship had nothing to do with that. Yes, we did find a, a, a cross and a, a, some twine. The twine did not match in any way, shape, or form with the twine that was tied around Mary Lou Ruta. Um There was a men's underwear that was found at that scene, and the scene was a mile away. Uh, there was no evidence of any homicide or anything. It was just little blood spots there. Uh, and there was a cross there. We found there was ritualistic, satanic stuff going on there all the time. Uh, I got third-hand information through informants about the stuff that was going on over there with the cross and so forth, and all the graffiti and so forth. Uh, there was no, absolutely no graffiti or anything related to Satanism uh, at the Mary Lou Ruta scene. Uh, whatsoever, and I'm totally convinced that uh, Kata acted, acted on own. He was responsible. There was no cult involved. And when it was brought up to court, uh, 12 jurors also found the same thing. Especially whereas, you know, he he admitted to doing the same thing to somebody else, uh, but the other girl just happened to have escaped. Yeah, he did it actually 10 years prior. And he had just gotten out. He was only out two years when this happened. Yeah, so I mean that that just looks like uh, you know I, I don't know how you can argue uh, guilt in that 
in that case. But, uh, well, Alan, thank you. I know that, uh, you know, you, you've uh, got your day ahead of you, so I thank you for joining us and, uh, and for shedding some light onto this from a historical basis and giving people the actual fact instead of all the rumors that have been circulating over the last, you know, 40 years. Yeah, very good. But I'm, I'm glad, he, I'm glad he, uh, he's rotten in hell right now. All right. Well, thank you, sir. You have a good one, and we will talk to you soon. Okay, very good. Nice. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you very much. We'll have to have you back on on the Saturday night show sometime. We always have a lot of fun with you when you come in. So, Cool. All right. Take care. All right. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. And, uh, of course, we can always bring Alan on and talk about hypnosis, which is uh, something that I'm fascinated by. But uh, Chris and and, uh, and Aaron, I just wanted to get, you know, I wanted to have Aaron uh, give Alan some time to share before, you know, he had to get on with his day. But, uh, you know, in terms of the actual impact of this, Chris, when you were putting together the book, you have to now uh, take what happened in this case and, and put it into context of right. everything that's gone on in the Freetown State Forest. And it, it's kind of amazing that it's an area that you would think that, okay, one murder would make it, you know, nefarious. But the fact that it's had numerous like this uh, – did you find that there were a lot of people that didn't want you to tell this story? There were a lot of people that didn't want to have to bring this back up? Well, it was interesting because when I first started to uh, uncover information and when I first started talking to Alan um, and then other people subsequently that I spoke with, um, they would talk about rumors. They would talk about uh, whispers they had heard. They would talk about these connections. Um, but Cater was always... Uh, very much like, nope, nope, you weren't, he, he acted alone, there's no connection whatsoever. I and mean, he truly was like this boogeyman who um, was separate from the other things that were going on in the Freetown State Forest. And whether it was um, cult-related uh, or whether it was kind of a, a symptom of the, 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 the evil in the Freetown State Forest, um, I thought that he was definitely an important part of the myth. Like, everyone was very quick to deny that he had any uh, connection to any cult whatsoever, which I don't firmly believe. Um, but even if that were the case, uh, it was there were still circumstances around it that kind of led into the bigger picture of what was going on in the Freetown State Forest and what still goes on. And, and Aaron, when you're putting together the film, and, and naturally you knew that this had to be part of that story, uh, because of the lasting impact that it's had, uh, I, I imagine that you probably encountered a lot of the same things, a lot of people kind of feeling the same way. Yeah, um, and, you know, we kind of, uh, number one, because of the sensitivity of, of that case, we, we gave it a very brief summary uh, in the film. We actually didn't try to tie it to any kind of cult. Uh, theory. We actually tried to separate the two um, in the in the documentary, but I am aware that you know there are some people that aren't completely convinced that uh, there wasn't some sort of a tie in there. But uh, it was um, one of the, the big things that uh, we tried to dispel um, is that at least there was no connection um, between the James Cater case and the uh, Carl Drew Robin Murphy case. Um, which is a common misconception. And when sometimes when people talk about that Carl Drew Robin Murphy case, they'll, they'll say, yeah, isn't that the guy that killed that Mary Lou Ruta? And you have to just say, whoa, 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 right. no, it's a, it's a separate case. They're two unrelated things. And so because they both happened, you know, 1978, 1979, 
those cases are often confused with one another, and then you add in, you know, 10 years later, the New Bedford Highway murders, those get confused with those two cases. So you have those three cases kind of flying around that people that aren't familiar with them uh, confuse them with one another quite a bit. I mean, it's just a terrible thing that, uh, you know, such a beautiful spot, although it does have its its you know, its atmosphere, its feelings, but that such a beautiful spot has been used uh, so terribly over the years. And, and Chris, we talked a little bit about the bigger picture uh, earlier this morning. I, I mentioned it a little bit, but, you know, you feel that there's kind of, there, there's, there's a power there. There's something there that draws this type of activity, that draws this type of negativity. I do, and I think that, you know, I think that that's why, um, if anything, if there is no cult connection, and I'm not convinced, I think there are some, some details around the case that hint at, um, at something, and, and like Aaron said, not connected to um, to any of the other cases uh, from that area, uh, although connected to some cases from the uh, uh, Middlesex and Essex County, uh, some, some information from that area. Um, but either way, I think that Cater was pulled there. I think that Cater was pulled by the energy that exists within the forest. Um, there are other places where he could have uh, that he passed, that he could have dumped or done whatever he needed to do, uh, and yet something was calling him to the Freetown State Forest, the way it calls other negative aspects or other negative things into it. Um, you know, I, I firmly believe that there's something um, evil about that place, and and I think it draws that stuff in. When I was writing Darkwood, I always say it began with a question, are these crimes, um, which are often disproportionate, the violence uh, within them and the, the details within them are awfully disproportionate to the situation. Um, why are these happening here? You know, in Allen, if we gave him more time, we'd discuss its proximity to cities and, and the ease with which you can get in and out of the forest with very little knowledge to, to dump what you need to dump. Um, but I think it's also something more than that. I think that, that the forest calls the people, and then uh, it's... It, those cases become part of the lore of the area and kind of feed back into it, and it becomes, you know, a, a, a perpetual kind of cycle of drawing things in and then kind of using what's going on to feed itself. And I know that's very, as Alan would say, hocus-pocusy, um, but those people who, who have worked within the forest, those people who are connected to it, um, they, they have those unexplained things. Even if they can explain or they can dismiss uh, paranormal stuff that happens or this case or that case or, or this murder or that this assault that happened there, um, they always seem to have this underlining question, though, of, of why, the, why the, the details of it are the way they are. And um, people who are in the forest feel stuff. Uh, they feel that kind of stuff working within it when they're there, even if they're going there for very positive reasons. And, and Aaron, I know you don't buy into a lot of the hocus pocus stuff either, but uh, you know there is. There, I mean, and it's probably more because of knowing what happened there. But there is kind of that feeling there that, and you spent a lot of time out in the forest in filming the documentary. Uh, can you understand why you know it, it becomes such a drawing point for this type of activity? Oh, absolutely. I, if, uh, if I could, I apologize to the viewers if you could hear my three-year-old uh, daughter in the background at any point. Uh, it was my, my day to get up. You mean future so Oscar-winning documentarian? <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, the closest thing I've ever had to a paranormal occurrence or experience in my life occurred in the Freetown State Forest while filming uh, Chris Balzano's interview for the for the film. 
and uh, Chris was right there and witnessed it himself and was part of it. It was, it was pretty amazing. Uh, so I can definitely understand how people uh, tie in the Mary Lou Ruder case to the, the myth and lore of the Freetown State Forest, and there's no denying that that forest, which is in a sleepy town of 9,000 people, has seen a disproportionate uh, amount of uh, bizarre crime. And um, so I, I definitely can see where people are coming from with that. And um, just a, an interesting aside, um, that that scene from the film, actually, you don't even need to own the film to see that scene if you wanted to check it out on YouTube just to get a more of a sense of, of what we're talking about. That entire scene is uploaded as a as like a, you know, just like a bonus thing. People can just check it out uh, just to see uh, what the documentary has to offer. But I'm not saying it for that reason. I'm just saying if somebody is listening today and wants a synopsis on that case, that, scene, that whole entire scene is on YouTube. You don't even need to buy the rest of the film. But they uh, but, can do so by going to BridgewaterTriangle.com, and they can get the film both uh, in physical form with a Blu-ray or a DVD, or they can watch it on demand online, and, and they can also get Dark Woods, Cults, Crime, and the Paranormal in the Freetown State Forest at their local bookstores or from Amazon. And, you know, make sure that we plug that so that people can find out more <laughs> about the case. Well, yeah, yeah. And, I, you know, like I said, and uh, they can't see that scene on YouTube as well, but... Um, but, yeah, it's, it, it's definitely tied into the myth and lore of the Freetown State Forest. And um, it, it, there is something about that forest, whether it be something supernatural or whether it be its geographical location, that does seem to draw in this, this sinister human element. I mean, there's a, there's a section in the film where we talk about other um, crimes, actually true crimes that have happened there. Uh, you know, a homeless drifter was taken out there and shot. Uh, it was a, it was mistaken as a drug dealer, I believe. Um, there were two men that were shot in that car on Bell Rock Road. There's been a new, there was a newborn infant that was left and died of exposure in the Freetown State Forest. There's been mob hit bodies found out there. Uh, so it definitely, without a doubt, it's a draw for crime and criminal activity. And what the explanation for that is, uh, there are a lot of different theories out there. And, um, you know, it's interesting to think about, and it, it definitely is a, you know, as you say in the documentary, uh, Tim, uh, a, a darker place. Actually, I think it's Chris that said it, a darker place. Uh, either one of you said I'm not well, sure. Well, either one. Whichever one of us said it, we're right. We always are. All right. It's not as good as me. All right. Well, <laughs> thank you guys for joining us, and uh, and certainly people can read the book and, and watch the film and find out more. Uh, thank you so much, and, and uh, Chris, we'll talk to you tonight, and Aaron, and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, guys, and I apologize for the background noise again. Nah, no problem at all. We, we, Thanks, we... Tim, and I apologize for Aaron's background noise. <laughs> all right, guys, take care. That is Aaron. Right, have a great day. You too. Aaron Cadju and Chris Balzano joining us to talk about the Mary Lou Arruda case, the, the death of Mary Lou Arruda, and the death this week of her convicted killer, James Cater, in prison.